Welcome to the SBS Tour de France podcast. It's sponsored by Zwift, which gives you a new way to compete without traffic or punches getting in your way. Zwift is an online community of cyclists around the world coming together to train and race virtually. Climb mountains, climb the leaderboards, or go for KOMs or QOMs. Loads of riders in the pro peloton use Zwift to train their way to the top, and you can too. Visit Zwift.com to get in on the action. Bonjour, 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 and uh, welcome to the Zwift Cycling Central podcast, episode number nine for stage number nine. Coming all the way from Roubaix, we are just dead right in the center of the uh, velodrome. Joining me is my new co-host, former sidekick, uh, <laughs> Dave McKenzie. How are you, Dave? I like that. I like that. Yes, well done. Uh, I'm very good. I'm very good. I'm... I think the title of this podcast is Sunday in Hell. You can't summarize it better. We had one Sunday in hell in April, and you know what? We just had another Sunday in hell. We did. We just had a Sunday in hell or a day in hell on the Tour de France. And in some ways, it was as brutal, and if not more, than Paris-Roubaix. It was 156 kilometers. So if you break it down into a percentage, um, the crashes, uh, I'm not sure how many more riders we threw today. We know at least one. But how many more, we're not sure. But, gee, the, the bodies that came in and the dirt and dust. It's a different time of the year. It's hot. It's 31 degrees. And the dust that was coated on the riders was crazy. The one you mentioned is, of course, Richie Port. I was just driving in when, when that happened. But tell me, how did you see this happen? How, to, how, how did the news break? Well, it was crazy because Tomo and I were doing the live hosting and we were literally, we'd come back from an ad break and we were literally about to cross to uh, Matt Keenan and Robbie McEwen for the live commentary. So we were on live pitches, the camera was off us, we'd gone to live pitches but we were still talking. Tomo asked me a last question about Richie and if he survives today, you know, then he can look forward to the mountains and et cetera, et cetera. And then we were literally, Tomo was literally about to throw to the commentators and then a crash happened. And Tom, I said, hang on, let's just, let's just look at this crash. And then we both saw two BMC riders on the deck. And I saw my heart sunk because I saw a small BMC rider. And Richie's the smallest guy at BMC. And small in stature. You know, he's got a small build, a small frame. And I thought, oh, my God, that's him. And so that's how we found out. So then we, we talked about it. And we were, we were just flat out producer, Catherine Will, and she's, yeah, she was upset. She, was, she wasn't too happy either because so much goes into it. And, you know, it's not a secret that obviously the production, we focus obviously on the Australians a lot. There's a big, and when you've got an Australian who can win the biggest annual sporting event, he's up there, you know, he's there ready to win it. When you compare it, for example, look at the World Cup. So much focus goes into the Socceroos for the Australian coverage, but they were never going to win the World Cup, and that's not being mean or nasty. That's just a fact. Richie Port had a big chance to win, and I was about to say World Cup, to win the Tour de France, and for the second year in a row, he's crashed out of the race. So that is what is really heart-wrenching. I know it's devastating, and, and thinking about, I mean, because we are, you and I are involved in, 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 in the media side of this sport, but we know how much effort the guys are putting, every single rider, but we also know how much effort 
um, Richie has made to come back from that crash last year. You know, we saw him with that big uh, bar of Toblerone uh, that he had, but uh, that, that was just a joke side of it because the effort he had to make to, to come back. And this year he had such a good run in with the Tour de Suisse, that, that win at the Tour de Suisse. Uh, we almost thought, you know what, it felt like it was a good year for him, but just just wasn't going to happen this year. And he didn't even get to race over a single brick a single parve. He didn't make it to the first sector. And that's what's crazy about it, you know. Now, the reality is Chris Froome crashed. I think Roman Bardet crashed. Rigoberto Uran crashed. They all picked themselves back up and they all got to the finish, you know. Why couldn't have Richie at least... Why couldn't he have at least been able to get back up and keep going? And I don't mean he, he's a weak man. He, he, he should have. I mean, he obviously really hurt himself that badly that he couldn't. And so that's, you know, you just say, well, what are the odds? What are the odds? And so I think, I think as media people, we're, we're sort of trained to, you have to be trying to be unbiased to a degree. We're allowed to be a little bit biased towards the Australians. But to me, I say at the moment, I go, well, there's a human side here. And so I really, really genuinely feel for him, you know, because psychologically it's just going to hurt him a lot, I think. So what's next for, for BMC? Because uh, uh, they have to generate a plan B, I guess, and I'm not sure they had one. Uh, and we already said this last year, you know, when he crashed, uh, what's the plan B? But I mean, honestly, what's the plan B? Are they going to ask TJ or Vanavamad because he's in yellow, trying to hold on as much as they can? What's, what's the logic behind? Well, I'll tell you what it is, because I just asked that same question to Greg Vanavamad, and I said, where to now? You reset the dial post-rest day, where to? And he said, good question. We don't know. He said, first thing, and, he, and he, he's very philosophical. He said, first thing, we should look back on the first week and talk about the really successful seven days we've had. Oh, he said, you know, almost seven days in the yellow, a stage win. So they've had a great tour. You know, some teams will never wear the yellow jersey ever. They've just had it for seven days. They've got the team's time trial victory. So they'll try and reboot. We think TJ Van Garderen's he's lost quite a bit of time, but maybe he's not out of it completely. Um, so it's a good question. I'd love to see Simon Gerrans' uh, Jagger stage win. You know, that'd salvage something, I think, for the Australians as well in this race because not that the Australians aren't capable, but they're all, quite a few of them, are working for their team leaders, Heinrich Hausler, Vincenzo Nibali. Um, the Australians at Mitchelton Scott, we know they're working for Adam Yates. So they might not get an opportunity to go for a stage win. Michael Matthews, he's gone. He was our saviour last year when Richie Port crashed out. So it's, it's challenging for them and it's challenging for us as Australian media now to, to find that next story. But I always say at the Tour de France, something always happens and something, believe me, will happen. And it's, I mean, we, we just started this podcast saying it's Sunday, Sunday in hell, but overall it's a rubbish week for us because we lost Matthews and then we're losing uh, Richie <laughs> Port. Honestly, what are the odds? <laughs> oh, it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, we're laughing about it, but it's like... Yeah, it's laugh or cry, isn't it? It really is. I mean, yeah, it's it's terrible. You know, and Matthews, the day before he pulled out, he's on the roll as warm again. We have vision of it. We're like, you're fine, mate. And then at four o'clock that morning, the next morning, he's vomiting and he's, you know, he's out. He's sick. He's got a bug. I mean, the odds are getting that are quite low, uh, uh, low as well. Not too many riders get that. So, yeah, we've had a shocker. I think, I don't know, I hope it's not us. I hope we're not jinxing them. The pod, it's not the pod, is it? No, it's not the pod, come on. <laughs> uh, 
the rest of the the pack, uh, Bardet AG Tour, they had a, a hell of a day as well because so many mechanicals. I think Bardet uh, two flat tires, Latour flat tires, Verimo, uh, Villamos flat tires. When you had so many flat tires in the one team, can you question the mechanics or the mechanics side of it? Uh, you might question the brand of tires you're using or the wheels you're using. Um, you can. Sometimes it's just bad luck. Sometimes it's just bad luck. But Bardet two flat tires in the like from one pavé to another two flat tires same for la tour can we question the mechanics can we question the, the tires they're using can we question the pressure they put on it are all those questions be going to be asked to the to the to, to the mechanic guys yeah absolutely uh, and uh, yes you, you maybe it's uh, the equipment they're using um i saw incidentally and on that i saw simon Guerin's posted a little video he was riding 28 mil tires for all the tech heads and which is amazing that the 28 mil tire fit on his standard road bike so there wasn't too much different he did double bar tape but um no look the average paris-roubaix winner for example more well, used to be the stats are they have a crash one or two a flat you know, that's the average winner. So imagine the guy who doesn't win. So Raman Bardet didn't win today, so he's he's probably par for the course, you know. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it was always going to be a crazy day. You know, let's we're not we're talking about stuff that we believed was going to happen. That's that's probably the the thing that you say, well, it's not that much out of the norm. It's crazy but we love it, but we don't like that Richie's out. We, we don't like to see an EGC rider crash out, do we? And of course, when, a, when an Australian who you're pinning your hopes on to, to deliver or at least get a good crack at it. So that's the really sad thing. Um, but we do love the craziness of the sport. We love the craziness of the sport. We love the craziness of the sport. I mean, the fans out there, it was bigger than Paris-Roubaix. The fans, the crowds on the, on the Parvay sectors, it was insane. And you know what? We drove the course as well, and because it was the, the day of the final uh, of the World Cup, uh, there was a lot more French flag that we saw yesterday, the day before at uh, at Bastille, which is very interesting for me as a Frenchman. People not rallying for for Bastille Day that much, or they were saving energy for the for the for the World Cup day. Imagine the gridlock trying to find a TV. All those Frenchmen, Frenchmen and women and kids that were on the sidelines racing back to either home or to a bar. I hope they've thought of a strategic plan because I've been at these Parve sectors and you literally have to be a rally driver to get out of there. Hey, Maka, look who's coming. God damn. Well, you know what? I'm not surprised. Well, I'm standing in the middle of Roubaix Velodrome. Mr. Roubaix himself, Stewie O'Grady. Oh, I don't know about Mr. Roubaix, but good to see you, Maka. How are you? You too, brother. Now, you must have some fantastic memories i mean you've you've i saw you this year at the grand fondo you did yeah. your first paris-roubaix grand fondo <laughs> did you how did it feel uh really weird <laughs> yeah um uh, look it does brings back some really really special memories uh i was here yesterday with with our moo moo clients and got them into the showers and into the shower blocks and mate there's so much history and now it's turned into like a truck parking pit stop uh with all the tech zones but um yeah obviously you know, one of the biggest days of my life happened right here. It certainly did. And we are now in the midst of uh, the stage. This is, you've ridden so many Tour de France's, and I'm pretty sure you would have raced over the Parvay in the Tour de France as well. But yeah. this one's next level with 15 sectors, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I think it's, to be honest, I think it's too much. Um, you know, 90% of the guys here probably don't really want to be here. You know, this is just too, it's just a little bit, too over the top I think you know if you look back at the none of these guys ride Perry Bay for a reason because it, it's ridiculously dangerous and hard and you know okay we suffer up mountains and we can't climb but we don't break 
riding up mountains, you know, as in break bones and, and crash and can end your season. So, you know, we've we've read the horrific news that Richie's already out before they even hit the, the, the cobbles. And that, that's just due to tension, pressure, stress. I mean, all the blokes, you know, they would have hardly slept last night. It's 29 degrees today, 15 sections, 21 and a half K. It's, it's nuts. Listen, sorry, I was just going to say, He's going to be soft in his old age, I think. Oh, absolutely. I've never heard him speak with so much compassion for well, other I athletes. Feel, I feel sorry for the guys out there. You know, this isn't a one-day classic. You know, Perry Bay is Perry Bay, the hell of the north, because it's on the 14th of April and everyone on the start line dreams of winning it. Everyone on the start line today is just um, petrified and just hoping to finish it. Mm. And I don't really think that's, you know, I, I get it. I understand it's... TV and makes for great audiences but when you see guys you know it, it's going to be crazy when we see the end of this stage what's going to happen to the time gaps the time differences and I'm just not sure that 15 sections is really necessary. Can you guide us through how Richie could be feeling right now in his head you know he, he prepared the whole year since he crashed on stage nine again last year how do you think is he in his head is he really peed off? Yeah, it's giving me goosebumps. Um, no, he'd be absolutely devastated. Uh, you know, he might try and put on a brave face when the media see him eventually, but he'll be crying big time on the inside and he'll be crying most of the night with his head in the pillow. Um, he's really going to need the whole of Australia to get behind him and get him through this next few days of real uh, depression. You know, I mean, he, he's, he's been out there, you know, silently suffering, comes out, you know, wins to Switzerland, all things are looking really good, and bang, it's over in a, in a, in a blink of an eyelid, it's uh, horrific. That's, it's happened to you, you've had, you, you experienced the very highs and the very lows in the sport, how long will it take him to rebuild? Because for me, even sitting here as a, as a you know, someone covering and, and chasing him every day, I'm gutted for him, and I just think, Okay, we were gutted last year, but this one, it's almost, it, well, it's double, it's worse. Yeah. So how long will it take him? Oh, look, a collarbone doesn't take that long to recover from. It's not, it's not the bone that's the issue here. It's, it's, it's rich in his confidence. It's going to be, mean, you know, already they were going to probably, um, you know, have a, he's, he's got a little chink in his armour and that's down healing, um, which probably would have been magnified later on in the Tour de France. Um, but to not even get to that part, uh, yeah, just be devastated. Um, the collarbone will only take 10 to 12 days. Um, you know, if I was him, I'd be, you know, just throwing my arm out the air, get to the Vuelta, you know, refocus, you know, take a few days to, to really let yourself be sad and then get over it. You know, set yourself another goal. He has to ride the Vuelta if he's going to be any chance for the Tour de France next year. And Tomo actually said to me on the live coverage before, I didn't think of it, World Championships, it's a mountain, it's a hilly course. Yeah, look, I do believe everything happens for a reason, yeah. and as unfortunate as, as it may seem when it happens to you on that, you know, in that really raw moment. Um, but good things happen to those, you know, just, you've got to just refocus, um, a lot of rescheduling, but just mentally get on it and move on. I've got one last question. For the one that finished the, uh, the stage uh, to Roubaix, finished well, there's a rest day uh, coming tonight or tomorrow for, for people that are here. How do you recover from such a hell? Uh, hell right, knowing the Alps are coming just from the corner. <laughs> oh, mate. Uh, you might say I'm getting soft, but I actually do just genuinely feel sorry for the blokes. You know, it's just, it's just nuts. Um, look, they got to travel all the way down there yet. 
Um, the rest day is going to be, you know, there's not going to be much rest in it. And then bam, you know, straight into the mountains. The climbers will be kind of relieved, you know, they've got no cobbles. The, the stress levels will really be down. The, the bunch will have calmed down after this day. Um, yeah, it's a rest day without being a rest day. So the guys will probably get out and go for a bit of a ride, um, but they're going to be hurting. So you're complaining about your transfer? I know, I know, it's terrible, isn't it? Yeah, first of all, problems, thanks. Yeah, you've just made everyone aware of that. <laughs> Thank you for coming uh, into the Cycling Central podcast. No worries, merci. There you go. Uh, Stuart O'Grady, what a legend Stuart is. Look, he's, he's a, he was a legend of a bike rider and he's a legend of a person. I've, I've been lucky to know Stewie for many years, raced against him. Didn't like racing against him for some reason. <laughs> Tell me why. Because <laughs> <laughs> he whipped me nearly every single time. And what, I mean, people need to picture this. We are in the centre of the Roubaix Velodrome, the one you see uh, on television on SBS late on the Monday morning or Sunday night. We are right in the centre of this, where approximately where the podium actually takes place and we spoke to Stuart O'Grady where he won that Paris-Roubaix. How incredible is this? Uh, it, and, and how hilarious is it? How hilarious is it that he literally bumped into us and we're not joking this time he act, this guy actually was walking past and we went oh hey <laughs> grabbed him and uh, no nah, look he's very Stewie's always been very approachable and I think that's what we love about him and I think for him, as he said, you know, it brings back some great memories. Um, you know, it'd be, it'd feel like maybe yesterday for him, or maybe it feels like another lifetime. But he's enjoying retirement, and he's in, he's obviously loving being back at the Tour de France. And in a day we lose Richie in the Tour de France as a, as a main contender for us, it's lovely to see someone that has won, but also has his share of of crashes, his share of of pain, and you see him smiling after that. I think it's kind of a, it's almost a positive sign. There's always another side to it, even. Even though the pain of losing Richie uh, in, the, in, uh, in the race yesterday is, is, is enormous for everyone. Yes, and you know, sometimes, sometimes when the chips go down a few times, as they do with Richie, even we as supporters and people who cover him, you sort of say, I'm not sure if things happen for a reason sometimes, but I gen I generally I, I agree with Stewie that things happen for a reason, and I think the World Championships could be a big opportunity now for Richie. They may not have been if he had have raced this Tour de France right to the very end, and it wouldn't have mattered because I think he would have won it, uh, if you want to, want to know my opinion on that. But now he can hopefully get going for the Vuelta and then hopefully the world champs in Innsbruck in Austria, which is a very hilly course. Absolutely. Okay, let's uh, quickly focus on uh, what's happening tomorrow because what's happening tomorrow, we are driving, you and me. Uh, we have a long drive, uh, actually, to, uh, straight after this podcast, we, we're hitting the road, but also tomorrow. Uh, but we are heading towards the Alps. And like Stuart just said, there's no rest for anyone, including you, me, and also the riders because they have to do that transfer and then strike bang, boom, ANSI, and we are in the Alps, thick of the action. Yeah, you, you kill a good vibe, don't you? I mean, I was just actually starting to recover then and feel good about the future for us, but now you've just reminded me I've got an eight-hour drive. And by the way, you, no, sorry, less sympathy for the riders. They're all going on a plane. They're jumping on a jumbo. Like, jeepers, 30-minute flight. So uh, it's got to be done, though. It has to be done. It is, it's not an abnormal transfer for us the media we have had these in the past but it is a very long one because we are right up north we're two we're literally about two kilometers from the border in belgium in france but two kilometers from the belgian border so it's a long one i just realized that at the lunch because the lady offered me a beer i said is it a local beer she said yeah it's local it's brewed locally Belgian beer. I went, whoa! Ah, yeah, of course, we are just next door to Belgium. Yes, I know. I saw it. I saw the Belgian label, and I don't think I have to remind our listeners uh, or viewers 
um, uh, my love of Belgium. So I just saw it and went beauty straight down the hatch and drowned the sorrows a little bit from, you know, what, what just unfolded with uh, Richie Port. But we will move on. We will push on and bring on the mountains because, you know, the, the race is going to, it's wide open. It's anyone's bike race. So very quickly, before we, we wrap up this, uh, this podcast, uh, mountains are looming. What are the key points on, the po on, on those mountains? I would say from my point of view, Bardet, it's, this is the next three days where we know if he can do it or if he's completely struck out, to, out of the winning this tour. Well, I think putting out Quintana in that box and the other one, the other key one for me to look at, Vincenzo Nibali. Vincenzo Nibali, what can he do? What sort of discomfort can he cause to Team Sky? Or will it be more than that? Will he, will he attack and ride away? We know he's the shark of Mestina. That's his nickname because he's, his attitude to be aggressive and attack, um, you know, at times. And he's one of the best Grand Tour riders of this generation. He's ridden 10 and he's won the Vuelta. He's won the Giro. He's won the Tour de France. And he's finished in the top. He's finished on the podium, I think, in almost all of them. So he's an incredible Grand Tour rider. He bypassed the Giro d'Italia this year. He's home race. He's Italian. He said, I want to give the Tour de France a big crack. And he said, it, the parkour suits me. So let's see what he's made of. Okay. And then I think it's about time for us to, to go. And then to have a long drive, as we mentioned. Uh, thanks, Maka, as my new co-host of uh, this you, podcast. As we, <laughs> respect. <laughs> as we decided yesterday for people that follow. Uh, remember that you can uh, download, stream or subscribe to this podcast on uh, our website, sbs.com.au slash central. And you can also schedule and check out the rides on Zwift. There are several rides every day on Zwift where you can listen to this podcast while having a sweat. Thank you for listening. It's been a pleasure so far. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow morning. Bye for now. The SBS podcast brings you daily recaps of the Tour de France and Zwift brings you even closer to the pros. Zwift, our sponsor, turned indoor training into a full-on experience. Cyclists around the world log on to train, socialize and race virtually. You'll even see plenty of tour riders hopping on Zwift on their rest days, meaning you could be riding shoulder to shoulder with some of the world's greats, which is awesome. Ride and climb in Zwift without ever leaving your home. It's a great thing to do while you're watching the tour. So start Zwifting with a free seven-day trial at Zwift.com.